Welcome back to the wonderful world of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we talk all things culturally significant in the world of soccer, but nothing that goes on on the pitch. I'm here with my wonderful co-hosts, Alan Arujo and Louis Fernandez. We had another great episode today talking about the MLS and its designated player rule. So we delved into the history of the designated player rule, whether or not it has been successful overall in the history that it's been involved in, and where we think it's going to go and just learned a few things about the MLS. So apologies for any ramblings you may hear. It's a very interesting league that to this day, we, we learn a little something new. So join us on this wonderful ride that is Culture FC as we talk about the designated player role. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, comment. What are your thoughts on the designated player role? What are your thoughts on Louis Brazil jersey today? Anything we want to talk to you. We want to hear what you guys think. We appreciate your comments, your criticisms, and everything you do for us because we do this for you. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you may get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Facebook. And we also love to hear what you have to say. Is the designated player rule a, a worthy rule to have? Do you think that DPs are successful? And where do you see the DP rule going in the future? As always, we love to have you guys on board. Thanks again for listening. And let's get cracking. this weird thing not weird it's just an interesting fact that if you account for like all the inflation and everything that happened in world football Ronaldo phenomeno number nine would cost 499 million dollars today really as a player yeah wow like how much like, like the inflation his, and everything yeah for when he'd he be moved. the most expensive player ever that that wow. sounds that sounds fair the guy was by 499 million imagine that can you no? I can't imagine that. Imagine if you, hey man, you're worth four hundred ninety nine million dollars. <laughs> he goes to show though, like I feel like he's so underrated. Like Brazilians appreciate him and a lot of other couples do, but because he was injured for so long, yeah. You know, just like, the other thing is the English. They very few actually uh, rate him really that highly. Yeah, I think Manchester United fans have so, have appreciation for him because he scored a hat trick against them. They gave home. him a standing ovation that yeah, Where did he track. move where was his big move to again? He like everywhere. A lot, he dude. played he well, he, he's played both for Barcelona and Real Madrid, Inter and um AC Milan. His first move was PSV, right? He went Cruzeiro, Cruzeiro, Cruzeiro PSV, 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 Barcelona, Barcelona, Inter, Inter, Real Madrid, Real Madrid, AC Milan, AC Milan, Corinthians. Wow. So it do I read the other day that remember his little triangle haircut? Uh circle. Half this, circle. Whatever the half yeah. circle was. Yeah. I didn't know that was um because everyone was talking about his injury or whatever, so he shaved his head so people would stop, stop talking, talking about injury. that and focus on his hair. Yeah, I read the other that day. I was like, "Oh, dude, that's really cool." Before that World Cup in 2002, he had actually not really played that much over the past two years prior to that because he had two knee injuries back to back. So a lot of people in Brazil weren't really like they were not like, excited. They were like, kind of scared. Oh, I can imagine, dude. Um, but then he comes out in balls, scores 15 <laughs> goals. Oh, was I think like eight goals in one World Cup. And, yeah. I, I, a lot, before we get into it, I think it's, there's that funny story of him, too, with the transvestite. Oh, so I, that great. story also gets <laughs> just <laughs> crazy <laughs> overlooked. But I think we're good. Such, it's one of my favorite, like, those, like, um, not urban myths, but, like, those just, like, hilarious <laughs> stories about players. Yeah. It's one of the best. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. By far. Okay. 
Let's get into it. Boo, you want to give us the the three topics today? Yeah. So, the first one is, this one came about rather funny, funnily for me. I was on Facebook the other day, and I kept seeing this video pop up. Every time I'd scroll by it, it would just pop up. It would just, every day I'd see it twice. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this video. And it turns out that, so the president of Iceland is taking out a Facebook ad for people in the U.S. who like soccer trying to get the American soccer fans to support Iceland in the World Cup since the U.S. didn't make it. And it's, it's a really funny little video, and it's basically the president of Iceland and his wife, the first lady of Iceland, who I actually believe the first lady of Iceland is American. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but they sh- showed her name in the video, and she has no accent. She speaks English really well. And basically it's like a plea of being like, hey, you know, your team's not in the World Cup. Come support our team. And that's kind of the gist of it. And it was really funny because it's their first World Cup. And I just think it's such a smart play on their part. Because their country is tiny. Their country has less than, I forget the number. I think it's like less than 300,000 people in the whole country. And so for a country that has the population that's smaller than New York City to be in a World Cup when the U.S. isn't, I think it's super intelligent for them to be like, all right, let's try and grab some fans from the U.S. Plus they get the uh, underdog. Treatment. I think people Big just time. generally want to root for the underdog or people that, I mean, up against the odds. So, and then for them to do that and be like, they're accepting that and be like, hey, come on, guys, jump on jump on board. I think it's sick, though. Like, Iceland has awesome athletes. Like, the, the, the guy that plays um, the mountain Game of Thrones, he oh, just yeah. broke a world record for, like, deadlift. And like he's almost like, like 27 pounds. or 28 years old. Yeah. Like, he's the, mad young. These but guys he looks crazy. like a, Yeah, they he just, looks like he's 40. They just breed a, breed athletes. But I guess you live in a place with ice. You just, like, go to the gym and do weird <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Northern Lights are up there, so you gotta, you're got you doing some weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's cool, though. I think I, I haven't seen that yet. You, you mentioned that story to me on the weekend, but I, I haven't. I want to see it. I don't know how to, how to see it, other than if I just go on YouTube. But like, I <laughs> yeah. wish that they would just pop it up on my screen. Yeah. Maybe I just don't like enough soccer stuff. Like this, <laughs> yeah, I'm for. I'm totally for that. I think it's a great idea, and I feel like they know that the, the masses of the United States love their Facebook. So why not try yeah. to pump into we'll some extra fans? Yeah. Well, my so, question is for you now. That yeah. Neither, now that neither the Netherlands nor the U.S. are in the World Cup. Who are you rooting for? Um. So they're definitely on one of the, the teams that I want to win. Egypt, um, right? Didn't you say Egypt? Yeah, Egypt's up there as well. Um, but other than that, I, I want England. So England, England, Egypt, and Iceland. maybe Iceland? Yeah, no, definitely Iceland. I think just because it's got that underdog factor. And when your team is especially not in the World Cup, you want one of the most underdog teams to win. See, so they did a good job. You yeah. haven't even seen the video I haven't yet. haven't seen and it. They already I'm already on it. board. <laughs> Thanks, Iceland. <laughs> or I guess you converted them, Louis. You're the yeah, you, yeah you're the, the ambassador. I'm the messenger. Because I hadn't heard about it until this point. Does that mean I, can, like, I could get a job for the Iceland government <laughs> or like the send athletic committee? This, send them this clip. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get a job with them. Um, so the second topic is, uh, I saw the story. Apparently Usain Bolt is training with Borussia Dortmund. And... I don't know. The question is, is it a marketing stunt for Puma or is he really, really trying to actually play for Dortmund? He's been he's been talking about it for years, how he wants to play professional soccer and saying that it's a very big passion. of his. He's a, man, he's a really big Manchester United fan. 
but he he's always talked about how he really wants to play professional soccer. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is like the guy's Olympic athlete. He's kind of old. What do you guys think? I think it's him abusing his power, kind of. Like, he's just trying, he's just this celebrity who's known for being really fast in a sport that obviously loves a fast player. But it's just stupid. Like, he just spent his basically his whole career trying to get this move to a, to a team. He was never going to get a trial for Manchester United because that's just ridiculous. But I, I just uh, imagine this player who, like, has no touch. You just throw him on the pitch, and then you, like, pass him a through ball and hope he crosses the ball. He's, like, basically Antonio Valencia, but, like, just a little <laughs> bit worse of a touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, like, we've all played with that one fast kid at in high school. Like, that that's their only attribute. It's like, dude, you're fast, and you can cross <laughs> the ball if, yeah, if they give you, know, you a nice grab pass. It's so going to be a run I can 100% see it being just a marketing sound for Puma, which is whack, because people are much better than him footballing-wise and never get an opportunity like that. Yeah. And how old is he, like 34 or 32? He's, He's <laughs> Like, you're not getting your professional debut at that age. Well, what's really funny is that he actually teased on his socials um, a little while back about how he had signed for a professional team. And it became this big thing, and he let everybody just be really hyped up about it. And it turned out he signed for a uh, it was a charity game. Uh, and then everyone was, I saw people giving him so much hate on the internet. Like, I thought you actually signed for a real team. Yeah. Like, people berating him on Twitter. And then he, like, was just like, I, um, I just, I'm doing charity. It'd yeah. be nice, you know, if you guys no. weren't giving yeah. me shit for it. I like you saying both, but I think this is stupid. So I'm on his Twitter right now. He's 31 years old. Um, and it? 58 minutes ago, he um, shared a video of a Bundesliga, like, little clip and it's him practicing and him scoring a header goal yeah yeah just but like it's it, marking him though like a young uh, I, I have i have no idea it looks like he's definitely playing <laughs> with some younger kids but he's like <laughs> yeah, man, he's, he's like six count. five dude and i can't imagine him like i see the pictures just scrolling through and it's just ridiculous i mean you see this guy as an olympic athlete and now he's just like Mm, soccer also, now. I saw this video of him getting beaten and raced by Kevin Hart. So I don't, I don't respect the Usain Bolt anymore. Right? Actually. Yeah. It's like he's just kind of. It was like they, gave, they gave Kevin Hart a crazy like lead, but I do not care. Usain Bolt should have caught up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <in a few laughs> strides. I also find it crazy that he's six five. I didn't know that. I thought yeah, he I was a little shorter. I thought he was like a a good decent size, but that's a really tall. It's really tall for him to be like that fast of a runner. Yeah. Like does the lengthy the, his lengthy legs probably. Oh, that must help him too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's just like a marketing scheme, dude. He's just in like all all these pictures and everything, and I don't know. You got to consider the timing too. You know, it's towards the end of the season. True. There's not much. I don't know how. I don't think Dortmund's very close to winning a title. I don't think they're having the greatest season this year. So you know, by allowing him to trial with them, quote unquote trial with him, um, it brings a lot of publicity to them. Very so, true. I mean, look at us. We're looking at it now. We're we're, we're talking about it. So yeah. that's one extra person. For I can't sure. imagine what it's like for the, the the hardcore fans of the Bundesliga to see this humongous Olympian athlete. Well, for them it must just be whatever. But I think that he has such a global following that it just puts more eyes on the Bundesliga 100%. and Dortmund in general. <laughs> He's even got his own Usain Bolt Puma cleat as his Usain cover. Bolt in FIFA. That'd be crazy. <laughs> and you're saying that's off. 99 pace. <laughs> yeah. Just sending. I With like a 50 <laughs> Play him as a lone, lone striker up top and just through ball through the balls. whole game. Okay. Yeah. Through ball, sweaty goals. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you send Baltimore over this. 
Oh, this dude. And then moving on to our last topic. Uh, Juventus have been announced as the MLS All-Star opponent for 2018, which will be held in Atlanta in August, I believe. Yeah. And it was on a couple of different discussion groups on Facebook about the MLS and stuff. And when the news broke, a lot of like memes were coming out. And people were complaining a lot about the All-Star game um, for the MLS. And they're like, why don't you just give the 18 players that get selected like a little certificate and move on with it? But basically... What do you guys think of, of the opponent? What do you guys think of the All-Star game? Quick little discussion on that. So, All-Star game, you guys know how I feel about that when we talked about the Lukaku topic. I think it's funny that you were saying how fans in discussion groups were talking about just give them certificates and have it be over with because I think that kind of resonates with what I feel is just a stupid event for making money for the MLS. It's like the MLS... All-Star game is even more stupid because it's not All-Stars playing against each other now. It's them playing against another European team. It gives less All-Stars. How many All-Stars do they pick? Like 20-something? 18, I think, or 20. Instead of potentially picking, like, 30 All-Stars, 35 All-Stars to play against each other, you're now... It makes it even more of a marketing scheme because, like, why do you have to play against Juventus or, like, Manchester United was one year or whoever it is that they're playing. It's just a, a way to make it be a, like, more of a spectacle than it is actually appreciating them, the the All-Stars. So I think it's stupid. For Juventus, they feel, they don't even feel they're, they, it's what, their preseason at that point? It's preseason, so and fielding. don't forget it's a World Cup year. So yeah, depending on when fielding. it falls, they could be fielding U12s. August 1st. Yeah. August 1st? Yeah, they're fielding their, their U12 guys out there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Matter, and it's, I don't know, just I, I just I just don't like the whole thing as, as in general. Yeah. I think they should have done like every all-star game does in the United States, pick people from your own league and play yeah. them against each other because right. that's showcasing their the abilities of the whole entire league, right. not saying like, hey, we could play a European team and who's to say we might not win because we have 18 awesome guys. But what's, are they honestly going to play their best guys? No, yeah. I don't think you yeah. – I think, I think your point right now is probably the most interesting to me is that – the MLS can look at its entire public and go, hey, guys, we have Juventus, you know, like, you know, they're about to win their seventh, like, Serie A title, whatever, and we could beat them. And you're like, no, you can't. No. You, but you're you're fielding your all-star guys. But e- even if they do beat them, it's like you beat their B team. Like, right, no exactly. one's ever going to be like, oh, yeah, you beat Juventus A no. team. Or you're, or it's, oh, you beat them during preseason. Who, why, why does it matter? So there's always, it's. I think it's more of a negative thing than a positive. Cause it's such it's, a surface-level argument of yeah. like, oh, we could beat them. Like, no, you could beat their third string yeah, team, right. maybe. And it's just, I, I don't think at this point in the MLS that it's doing anybody any favors to be doing it this way. And Plus, I wonder if they uh, yeah. have the idea that they think that United States people who watch the MLS have think that, ooh, Juventus, like, they're going to play yeah. an Italian team yeah. when they, like, every preseason game, you never, even when they come to the United States, they don't play their best guys. Yeah. Or at least not all of them. Not all of them. Yeah. They play a couple, and they're yeah. just like, oh, like, never get a he's no. 11. No. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and two, uh, what I think is funny is you're trying to build stars in your league, but then you're diminishing the chances of calling stars up to the MLS game. Right, so like same thing. You could have thirty-five guys that one of them could potentially do something cool. Now, um, all-star game. Now you're calling twenty. You're not showcasing all of your talent in the MLS, right? So I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> but that plays right into our big topic of the day. Uh, so today we wanted to discuss a little bit about the designated player rule in the MLS and a little bit of its history and kind of where it's going. The reason why is because. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is essentially a 
signed for the LA Galaxy. He left Manchester United. Um, officially, I think they, they, they announced it two days ago that he will not be returning to the club. And all signs point to him signing with the Galaxy today. And so we wanted to basically examine how he's actually considered more of the exception nowadays and not the standard anymore, you know, in terms of older uh star player coming to the MLS for a last paycheck. It used to be that that was very common, um, but now it's kind of shifted a little bit to what other teams are doing and um, basically wanted to take the time to talk a little bit about it. So what is the designated player rule? Um, the designated player rule, which is nicknamed like the Beckham rule, yeah. was adopted as part of the salary cap regulations of Major League Soccer. For It started in the t- uh, 2007 season. Uh, the rule allows each MLS franchise to sign players that would be considered outside the team salary cap. And it allows MLS teams to compete for star players in the international soccer market. For those of you who don't know, the MLS has a salary cap. Like a lot of American sports, I guess, uh, you're only allowed to spend a certain amount for each player. But by introducing the designated player rule, it allows each team three uh, designated player spots, which essentially you can pay them whatever their going rate is, whatever you negotiate with them. Um, They just basically, they don't count towards your salary cap. Yeah. And so this has been used to varying degrees of success. Um, I'm just going to give you guys a list of recognizable designated players over the past. So it's been like 11 years that they've had it. These I kind of separated them into three little categories. You have like some of the older guys that kind of fall into that like last paycheck sort of area. You have some guys that fall a little bit in between where they're not super young, but they're a little bit older and have but still are contributing. And then you have the new age designated players, which are we'll talk a little bit about later. So basically, you know, some of them, David Beckham, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Thierry Henry, Denilso, Tim Cahill, Kaká, Jermaine Jones, David Villa, Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane, Didier Drogba, Andrea Pirlo, Rafa Marquez, Jermaine Defoe, Bastian Schweinsteiger, Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, Clint Dempsey, Sebastian Giovinco, and Giovanni and Jonathan Dos Santos. So those are just, that's like a little bit of a overview of some of the most recognizable designated players over the last 10 years in the MLS. But then you also have basically where the MLS has taken it in the past couple of years with all of these really young, new age kind of designated players. So, you know, you have uh, Atlanta United's basically their whole front three, which is made up of their designated players with Joseph Martinez, Miguel Amaron, and they actually just broke an MLS record to sign a 19-year-old to be one of their designated players in Ezekiel Barco. Yeah, Argentinian. Argentinian kid, 19 years old. It was the most the MLS has ever paid on a transfer um, because he still had his contract in Argentina, I believe, or wherever he was playing prior to coming to the MLS. And basically, they broke a record to sign a 19-year-old, which is something that the MLS, no one ever thought they would do. Yeah. And then you also have a couple of other guys like Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, uh, Paul Ariola, Milton Valenzuela, Albert Rusnak and Jesus Medina. These are all like really young guys between the ages of 19 and 24, which have been signed to designated player contracts and given really big contracts. So basically the way I wanted to break it up is kind of talk about a little bit of the history of where all of this started, why it came about, and get your guys' opinion on or whether or not we think that the designated player rule was worth it for the MLS. So, you know, the MLS was a growing league, started in 96. About 10 years later, they really wanted to put some star power on the map. They came up with a giant contract. They wanted to get David Beckham. He was interested in coming to the U.S. He saw it as a very big, viable market for him in terms of his personal brand and also what he could do. And so they basically, they made all of these rules up because of David Beckham. 
At the time, David Beckham wasn't really that old. He was probably 29, 30, and came to the U.S., and they made all these exceptions for him. From then on, a lot of teams started to do the same thing. They started to bring their own star players from overseas, and that's kind of how the deep, the designated player rule kind of got off the mark. But unfortunately, you know, they haven't all been very successful. They've basically been, they're brought into the MLS, a lot of it more for star power than anything, because a lot of these players, in fact, were coming here for a last paycheck. They would play a couple games, but in all honesty, the, the, the older class of designated players, the most successful one was David Beckham. Him and Robbie Keane, but other than that, and Landon Donovan, but they're all basically all at the Galaxy, but most other players didn't really win much when they came over. They were basically just doing it for the marketing power for the league. You know, you have Frank Lampard played a season in New York City, but really didn't do much at all. Um, Thierry Henry played several several seasons with the New York Red Bull, but they never won anything. They I think they won a supporter shield, which is just like the best regular season finish, but they didn't win the cup, so it yeah. just ended up being for nothing. Same thing with Andrea Pirlo, Rafa Marquez, Didier Drogba played in Montreal for a season, played pretty well to start, but then didn't it ended up not really going anywhere. So basically the question is have designated players been successful overall? I don't think so, but I'm not sure if that's a fault of designated player rule. I think it's just been a fault of using that rule to attract players more as a marketing ploy, almost. I don't think that a lot of these guys, if you're looking at it, I, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of do these players fit into the club? I think that sometimes they're just getting, teams are just getting these players because they're big name players and they want to fit and they want to attract more eyes on the club, which is okay. But if you're looking at it in terms of designated players signed to trophies one it's it hasn't been that successful if you look at it from from two different perspectives in terms of winning things it hasn't been successful but in terms of gaining popularity for the mls and or your the club that they're going to it has been pretty successful because i mean i remember the david beckham when he came obviously that's that's probably been the biggest star that's that's moved over that was, I mean, ESPN breaking news, something that was repeatedly being brought up. And ever since then, it's become a little more mainstream, but it's opened people to the MLS a little bit more, which I think is a, a positive in terms of just sports recognition. But in terms of competition, obviously, it hasn't been that successful. I personally think it is a device to allow these old fleeting players the opportunity to still continue to make money and not sit on the bench at wherever they are. They are obviously idolized by the few, the, the small majority of fans who know their careers outside of the MLS. But I honestly think that it's a stupid idea to waste money on a player who probably isn't going to have the same fire and fury that they had in their previous years at bigger clubs with bigger stands, bigger stadiums, everything, more people to watch them. Yeah, I think it's a nice idea, though, to kind of showcase, like, hey, yeah. this is what the United States might be able to be sometime down the future. Like, these guys are in their older age, and they're still really good. But I think you could spend that extra designated player money on more development. And it would it's, like, just, like, ooh, it's, like, almost bringing, like, a, cir- uh, like an, a circus clown to, in, onto yeah. the pitch. It's, like, ooh, check out this guy. Like, yeah. you hear about his history? Like, he's really good. But... I mean, but then there are guys like Kaká who who can bring together a whole group of people. It it's definitely case by case, but overall, for sure, it's stupid. But well, I think it's funny. Sorry, just real quick. I think it's funny that you bring that up because I, when I think of kind of sitting on the bench and just being this this kind of lazy player, I think of Pirlo 
uh, he when he came in, he was I think he's there. He made a few comments, kind of bashing the MLS, and he's even been criticized towards the end of last season for just being lazy, not defending. I mean, being kind of this laissez-faire guy in the middle of the field, which he he plays like that, but he was being extra kind of just lazy and not really caring. So as great of a player he is, you can kind of see it in his body language that he just wasn't all there and kind of just doing this as his final hurrah. So I I agree with that. I think that it's definitely something that players were just doing because they, and we've even seen it with Robert Lewandowski, his wife coming out and saying, yeah, we'd like to end our career at in an MLS team. But it's because you know the the power that the U.S. market has in terms of, of, of marketing ability. Just money in general. Yeah. So back to B's point about where would you rather put your money in these designated players or maybe on other players on your team that, you know, maybe they're not designated players, but they're producing more. One quote I saw is, would you rather pay the impacts Ignacio Piatti 425000 per season or would you rather pay 16 times more than that for Sebastian Giovinco? And the reason is that Ignacio Piatti on the impact has been producing at a super high level, yeah. whereas Jovinko has been producing at a super high level, but in terms of production, they're pretty even. Just that, you know, Jovinko makes 16 times more than Ignacio Piatti. It's that question of, you know, are you paying them for their footballing services or are you paying them for their marketability and star power? I think that it's a really interesting conundrum that exists within the MLS is because they want to accelerate the league's growth in terms of popularity and stature within the U.S., but also wants to be a very high-end league. I think that you can see the impact of, of DPs. You know what I mean? You have Kaká who went to Orlando City, and their first season, they packed that stadium. You know, It wasn't to the level of what we've seen with Atlanta, but it was higher than most MLS stadiums and most MLS teams. Especially for an expansion team, having Kaká on board brought so many people in, in Florida yeah. to support Orlando. One interesting quote that I found is, when Drogba, or insert your favorite mid-30s star here, comes to the MLS and dominates, the talking point around the soccer world is that the quality of the league is low. If he struggles, however, it's because he's too old to succeed and made the decision to come only because he didn't have better options. There's no way for the MLS to win. The focus on older players makes it all too easy to perpetuate the retirement league narrative. So with that quote, you kind of see the conundrum, and it really illustrates the issue that exists between these DPs. So do you think that... And just before you ask a question, I think that also plays in with the MLS All-Star Game idea that I've, that was brought up, right? It's the same thing of there's no win-win. It, it's either the opposition that's European or outside of the U.S. is playing shitty or they're just not there or kind of treating it as a, as a warm-up. You know what I mean? And then the MLS just ends up looking bad because it's like, okay, it's kind of like a charity match and you play the little charity thing and the team that wins doesn't really matter, doesn't get the recognition, which I think is unfair for the players in the MLS because it's diminishing what they're doing. And and overall, I don't think it's great for the MLS to do that. So, sorry, you can go. No, no, yeah, so Bees, what do you think about the quote? Honestly, I think I'd rather pay less money, you know? <laughs> to the Would you, like... If like the first thing you said, would you rather pay the four twenty five thousand or more than that well, when they're performing at the same? So rate? like I, I guess my understanding of it is a little skewed because I'm not sure. I just don't know if designated players are necessary, right? Do you need to have that mark? 
as a, like what is the well each team's allocated three of them right but I, I understand that but I mean still the allocation gets broken down to it's what like half a million max cap like that's what that's what a DP takes up in your salary cap right so yeah I'm not too certain because I think they change it frequently so they changed it I know they changed it recently so yeah. that this we can bring this in youth players now if you sign someone under the age of 24 they they are can be a designated player but they only take up a quarter of a million of your salary cap versus if they're over 24 they take up half a million or something like that so th- that's kind of promoting yeah youth development youth devel- getting younger guys so this this guy that atlanta just just signed barco he's going to be the superstar 18 years old but he's only going to be taking up a quarter of a million salary cap max I just don't. I just don't understand why this designated player rule needs to be in effect. In my mind, I'm thinking you have a squad. It's part of your managerial staff to just assure that you're underneath the salary cap. It doesn't matter what you sign. If you sign a guy for 30 years old and you want to pay him a million dollars, sure, they take up half of your allocated budget for that one player, or spread that money out yeah. evenly. I just don't understand necessarily the concept behind the designated player rule. If there is already a well, salary the cap. The reason was is that the salary cap for the MLS is really is relatively low for what players in Europe make. Back in 2007, they couldn't pay Beckham even close to what he was making over at Real Madrid. So they were like, okay, we will make up this rule which will allow a team that has this money in the bank, but technically it's a way too high on our, our budget, to sign him. Ah, okay, so then Beckham would essentially take up a, 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 a half a million in a salary cap. In the, but the then, grand. But in the grand scheme, but he'd actually be making more than that, right? Like, no, well, they, they don't count towards the cap hit at all. I think they do. So what's the point? So they don't take any amount, like they, they don't consider that designated player as a part of the salary? They, what's the point of this? Like they, they introduced this rule. Um, so a designated player who is under 21 years old, will carry a budget charge of 200000 while a designated player 20 year under will carry 150000 So I think they're still taking a hit on the on the budget. budget. It's just capped at a certain amount. To be honest with you, I they have, the MLS's financial rules are crazy, <laughs> and I can't, I don't actually know how it's broken up. Um, everywhere I've, I've seen is that DPs don't count towards the cap. So I'm on the MLS website, and I'm looking at it. And so in 2018, a designated player is 24 years old or, or, or older, sorry, during the league will carry the maximum budget charge of uh, half a million, 504,375. Unless the player joins in the secondary transfer window, then they'll carry um, basically a charge of a quarter of a million dollars. So what I'm understanding is that these players, you can sign them for a certain amount, you can pay them over that, but they're still going to take a hit on your overall salary cap. Right. Sorry. Sorry. And now I understood. Yeah. So so that's this is where this is where I don't understand is why is this rule need to be implemented and why just not have teams enforce almost their own budgetary laws as opposed to having to put the restriction on the number of designated players. Yeah. Like, why can't they just, you know, I don't know if that's just coming out across like across the correct way. But, you know, I mean, like if you have 20 players, divide the money evenly, like your superstar gets this amount of money. And then you pay them at whatever else. Whatever else the other outside guys, of of that. Yeah, I'm just not sure. I understand kind of the the concept behind it. Well, I think the concept is essentially they wanted to bring in 
if you have three players you can bring in, you can basically bring in three superstars and pay them each like four or five million each, you know, let's say. But if you were to do that, you would have, if it was all under one big salary cap, you'd have like $1 to spend on the ah, next 19 okay, players. Okay, okay, okay. That's understood, the issue. Understood, it, it, understood, it's understood. more of a thing of... So the salary cap, so this is just my lack of understanding of the of salary cap like concept, is taking into consideration everything, like every like salary plus transfer fees into the budget, into your team's budget. No, because I actually think the MLS. Pay, I think the MLS is the one who deals with transfer fees. Oh my god! So that's what I'm, t- <laughs> I'm telling you. The MLS is crazy. Ezekiel Barco, Atlanta didn't technically pay the transfer fee. MLS paid the transfer fee, but Atlanta is the team that's signing him, I believe, because oh the MLS god. technically owns the contracts of the players and not, not necessarily the teams. Which is why there used to be a designated player rotation at one point, oh, which certain teams would be allocated gosh. who was going to get the next DP that came to the MLS. So it was the MLS signing Robbie Keane. It was the MLS signing Steven Jarrett. Oh, it was, my gosh. And that's why people hate on the MLS, because there's a lot of shady business where it's like, yeah, Frank Lampard ended up at New York City because he was playing at one point for Manchester City, and then they're linked together through a parent company. And so oh. it was a little sketchy. And so... To basically summarize that entire conversation we just had, the salary cap stuff and the MLS financials are a little crazy. fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but bringing it back to something that I think you said is, do we think the designated players are necessary? Maybe not from the salary cap uh, view that you were taking it, but more from a look at it overall. Where was designated players, were designated players a, a necessary evil? Or was it something that was silly from the beginning? I think it was necessary so that teams could actually bring in big players. If the if, if the MLS is the one that's actually buying doing the transfers and the salary is taking a, a part of that thing, no club would have been able to afford any of these aging stars regardless because they are just coming from European clubs where they're getting making a lot of money. So I think that in terms of that, and if the MLS is handling the transfer fees, it wouldn't make sense to not have the designated player rule. Um, I like that I just learned that on yeah. the fly during the but podcast. It really shows them. At but the same time, if they made these rules and everything, wouldn't that kind of pose the question to these aging stars, if you're going to play in the MLS, expect to be paid a lot less? You know, like, yeah. why couldn't they oh, just start it off like that? Like, hey, you want to come to the MLS? We're, we don't necessarily want to make a new rule for David Beckham to come play with us. Yeah. Like, well, but, then, but then, I mean, obviously he wouldn't have never came. N- but No one would want to come. But yeah, some, I, I feel like some people just like, want to, want like... that to be the case? So the MLS obviously wanted that to be the case to get these stars here, but... Yeah, what do you guys from think? From a fan's perspective, I don't know. From I, a fan perspective, do you guys think... It, why couldn't we just strong-armed him and say, we want to create our own homegrown league that hopefully is somewhat competitive some way down the line? So we the, don't want any of you. The reason is, uh, at least, I think it's a great question, and it's a great thing to think about because the reason it was all it all came into play anyway was to accelerate the growth of the sport in the U.S. True. It would have taken us, you know, probably six, seven decades, maybe, potentially, to grow a league holistically with only, you know, our own players and all that. But the U.S. as a giant sports market is just that, an yeah. enormous giant sports market. So for the MLS side, of, in terms of, we want to capitalize on this yeah. in the near future. How do we do that? For them, it was to create the designated player role. 
I agree with you. A lot of it comes down to a lot, and a lot of actual fans, because I'm on these discussion groups on Facebook of, of fans, and they talk about how, you know, oh, give the young guys a shot, or, you know, let's play with more of the, like, homegrown talent. People love talking about homegrown talent in the MLS, but my personal take on it is I think it was a necessary evil. I think that just looking at it in retrospect from what the MLS was in 2007 to what it is today, you know, I cared a lot about what was happening in Orlando City because, A, I thought they looked really nice, like they looked really cool, they looked professional, but then they also have Kaká, one of the best players in recent memory. Won a Ballon d'Or, won a World Cup, you know, that's that's big time. That's big, big time. So that, sure, he didn't play very much, but I actually paid attention to what was going on in Orlando because of it. And in the same way that, like, maybe I'm not sitting down to watch every game like a really super diehard fan, but I'm curious to see what Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore are doing in in Toronto. I'm curious to see what Jermaine Defoe was doing in Toronto at one point. Bastian Schweinsteiger came from Manchester United and went to to Chicago. Like, that was interesting to me. A a part of me, it it interests me to, to pay attention to it. But what we've seen happen over recent times, the, the MLS has started using, contracting a lot younger players to be DPs, like Michael Bradley, like Josie Altidore. Clint Dempsey came back from England. He's a little bit on the older side now, but, you know, and signing Sebastian Giovinco. So shifting the conversation from the old DPs, like David Beckham and all the players who really didn't do much, who were just here to attract, you know, star power. I think there's this middle group of players who do a little bit of both, where they're still producing on the field, but also bringing in that recognition, be it with Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, Clint Dempsey, and Sebastian Giovinco. I think those are currently the biggest core, and actually Carlos Vela as well from LAFC. These are a little bit more recognizable guys. They're all internationals for their countries. Carlos Vela's played so many times for Mexico. People know who he is, but they didn't sacrifice the product on the field, which is what was happening with the older designated players. You were bringing in these star players who could still produce, you know, Michael Bradley was playing for Roma. Pretty, you know, pretty big club. Josie Altidore was in Sunderland. He was in England. Clint Dempsey, I believe the last club he played for was Tottenham. Giovinco came from, from Italy. These are all players that were in relatively their prime. And they, they, this, this trio of Sebastian Giovinco, Michael Bradley, and Josie Altidore were the first trio that were actually really successful as designated players. They won the MLS Cup last year, and they were the first, you know, yeah. Aside from David Beckham, of course, and Landon Donovan mm-hmm. when they played together, these were the new age DPs that actually came together in their prime to play and win in a league that has actually gotten a lot more competitive since David Beckham has been here. So I don't think that this new era could have happened if it wasn't for the old one mm-hmm. because of the way that everything has been set up. Yeah. So, okay, so I think what's cool is... A, we are kind of all understanding what the what this this DP role is really now, but what I think is cool and why I think a lot of us are confused is because the MLS has changed it so many times, which is actually interesting to me because it's showing that they are sh- having they're looking for progress in terms of what the DP role can do, right? So initially it was sign these guys, and it and it kind of gave teams one option to just sign these older guys, which is a lot of teams are doing. But now with the rules changing, and if you sign a DP that is younger, you're taking less of a hit on your salary cap, which is really important because then you're not looking for just that necessary. The only thing on your mind isn't just let me sign this old guy who may or not may or may not perform. It's, hey, I could save a lot of money if I sign this younger guy who can, who can come into his prime while playing for, for my team, which in turn 
can actually win you things, right? It's not these guys that are just looking for that final paycheck. It's bringing in youthful players that are still trying to make a name for themselves, yep. still trying to get to their international level, still trying to win trophies and not just kind of sit And even hopefully make, maybe even be picked up by a another Premier club and or go, go to some European club. Well, so fair. I think that the, the MLS show, constantly changing their rules, although it may be more confusing for us to understand, is showing it, it has proven to, to work, right? I mean, it's... We've seen it with Toronto. We're seeing it with a bunch of these clubs now that are getting younger players and succeeding and getting players that are thirsty for success. So yeah, what you just highlighted is really the, the next. Really, what you just highlighted is the next shift in the MLS's de- designated player. Not necessarily that the MLS is the, are the ones that are are doing this, but the teams in the MLS are looking towards a lot younger players. So you know, Michael Bradley, Jose Altidore, they came here in their late twenties, which yeah. you know isn't their prime, but. You have teams like LAFC in Atlanta, and actually quite a couple of other 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 teams out there too. They're focusing more on wanting to sign promising young talent that you like you said that can grow into their prime within the MLS. Yeah. So we're seeing that in Atlanta with Joseph Martinez and Miguel Amarone and even Ezekiel Barco. You know, Joseph Martinez, he is 24 years old and he is only one hat trick away from tying the all-time MLS hat trick record so if he gets another one hits five and that's the record and he has only played 24 games for atlanta and he has 20 or i'm sorry he played he has played 25 games for atlanta and he has 24 goals and that's because he missed some time last year and this guy is an absolute baller he is it was a really good chance that atlanta gave him but he took it and ran with it He's one of their DPs. He's going to be a star in this league for I don't know how long if he sticks around. If he sticks around. So that's the that's where I think the interesting shift is happening is that these these teams in the MLS instead of focusing on the older players instead of you know I think Toronto had success with players like Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, and Sebastian Jovinko, but at the same time I don't think many other clubs did looking at similar situations. There have been a lot of DPs. There's there's it's been ten years. There've been so many of them who have actually been very ineffective yeah they have just not been doing anything and so i think it's a really interesting idea so i think it's a really interesting idea that these teams aren't looking for older players anymore they're looking to take chances on young players who they hope will be able to come into their own in their team, which I think really translates to what you were talking about before, which is to make a holistic league, to make it a very interesting, compelling league to bring young players into. And the question still lies is, would it have gotten to this point this quickly if it weren't for these older designated players? Yeah, from lo- looking at it from this perspective, I don't think so. I think that the, the failings of these bigger players have actually led to this movement that we're seeing now so i think that the mls realizing that the gerards the schweinsteigers the drug was although it's great for marketing isn't great for competition isn't necessarily great for teams competing for anything significant and that's why they introduced this um rule to to make it less of an impact on the on your budget if you're signing younger players taking risks on younger players because it allows for more growth and development in the league, right? It allows for competition. It, it 
strays teams away from signing the Pirlo, who wasn't going to really give it 100%, and signed this Argentinian kid for this 18-year-old Argentinian kid who still has a lot to play for, still has his whole career to play for, and will give everything he has to, to compete. So I think that looking back at it in hindsight, it's 2020, obviously, the, the failings of these players and not being that, that successful in terms of producing anything was really important to where the, the rules for the, the DP are. I think that it's been fun seeing a lot of these other players and seeing kind of our, our idols for, from European leagues moving into the MLS and getting a chance to see them perform, albeit at a lower level. But I think it's time that, that I think the DP has brought this. It's time to for the MLS to be cr- producing their own stars, whether they're American or not, be producing their own stars. And, and it's that same topic we have reoccurring throughout a lot of the episodes. It's generating love for the league based off of these rising superstars and, and new age talent that the world hasn't necessarily seen yet, which I, which I, which I think that now with, with this new rule and the way that it's structured allows for a lot more of exploration and it allows you a lot more room to grow as in terms of I can sign this guy for 150000 who is my DP. He's 18, but the upside of it could be huge. Yeah. Right. Cause you're, you're just have, you're taking less of a hit in your salary cap as opposed to signing the David Beckham for a half a million and actually having a return that could be super significant to what your club is, is doing. I, after, I mean, after hearing all of it, I think it was a necessary evil that had to exist, uh, having all these older players come because then it wouldn't have allowed for this, the newer salary cap to kind of push teams to, look for a youthful player that is going to only make the MLS a bigger thing yeah. because this kid grew up in the MLS and was 18, started, and now he's like the, the leading scorer in history. Yeah. So now that kid who could have maybe gone somewhere else but now is like a, a mainstay in the United States, people love him, who's to say he doesn't go out and play some other team down the line maybe in his mid-20s. So, But that would then almost solidify the legitimacy of having the MLS because they can produce stars. And I think what what the MLS is now starting to realize is that the United States has a lot of pull when it comes to just lifestyle for a player. And you're thinking of getting all these up-and-coming South American players, players that live in countries where, I mean, the uh, the opportunities aren't as, as high. Everyone's dream is to come to the U.S., whether you like it or not. That's a that's a lot of pull. If you can move to the U.S., may, say it's not Europe, say it's not whatever, but you're bringing your family to the U- United yeah. States of America, right? Which I think in terms of uh, South American players is huge. If you're still making huge. a lot of money and you're able to bring your family into a, a country with um, education, health benefits, whatever it may be, uh, however fucked up the U.S. may be right now, but the U.S. still has that pull over you're coming to the to, to the MLS to play a sport that you love, you're going to be making a pretty penny, and you're going to be able to provide for your family and bring them to, over to this amazing country. I think that's super important, and I think that now this the designated player rule allows teams to explore more and really risk it in terms of getting these younger players who aren't as experienced or not as well-known but potentially could could bring bring a lot to your club. So what what do we see 
what do we see the future of the de- designated player rule being, right? Because I think we've discussed a little bit the importance of, you know, between growing the league versus actually playing well. I think that my stance on, on whether or not what's, what, is, what is more important, I think that we're getting to a point now where those two things are not mutually exclusive. It used to be that for you to grow the league, you had to put asses in the seats, which meant bring in these big-time players. It's just going to be a novelty for people. But now that you actually have a lot of fans, clearly, as evidenced by, you know, Atlanta... I think that now we're starting to shift to a situation where those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can have stars that help you grow the league. Look at Toronto, like I said, who won the MLS Cup last year. So now the question lies is what is the future of the designated player rule? In terms of just structure or like what it does for the league? A little bit of both. Like, what do we see the future being? Do we see how are how are teams going to be going after the designated players? Do we think the designated player rule continues to remain in effect? I think with the way that the league currently is set up, it has to remain in effect. I did not know the MLS handled transfers, so I think that in terms of the way that the league is structured and whether we like salary caps or not for teams, I think the designated player rule has to be in effect. I think that its current setup is very good. I think that there can be some leniencies in terms of age because right now it's over 24, which is... A lot of players don't come into their prime yet, into the 24, and if you're taking that big of a hit, half of a million for someone over the age of 24, could be a lot. I think that the I think the age brackets for what for what the designated player takes up in your salary cap could be um, adjusted a little bit more, just to really fine tune it. But we're seeing with a lot of these clubs, the 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 Los Angeleses, the Atlantas, the Torontos, the, the teams that have been successful in signing a little more youthful players, that the future is bright and that you can really you can really set your, your club up for success if you're willing to take the risk. Um, obviously a calculated risk, but I think that the way that it's set up now really allows teams to to experiment, take that risk, and potentially fight for the MLS Cup. So I, I think that um, within the current structure of the MLS, it, the DP rule is going to stay. It's here to stay unless things change in the MLS, which I don't, I don't think they will. It's here to stay, and I think that the, the, its current iteration is almost there in terms of perf- perfection, if you can say that something will be perfect. But it's, it's showing, um, it's reaping its benefits now, I think, more, more, than, more than before. I agree with that. And I also think the general, the general outlook for the designated player is going to start leaning towards the younger guys because we've just seen that these older guys lack motivation. Well, some of them, some lack motivation and just are more of a liability than anything else. So I think I think it's fair to keep the designated player rule and stated because if a team has a little bit more power, popularity, whatever it may be, yeah. to have more of these guys come to their team, then that would obviously create this ridiculous imbalance and yeah. MLS would kind of just look stupid. We'd have like yeah. a couple teams that are at the top because they're the most popular. Yeah. So these designated players, I think, is a necessary evil to have until the holistic building of the MLS is kind of all evened out to yeah. the point where like they're all the teams are pretty level, so then yeah. they can start kind of opening up. Well, I, I don't know. I, I just think that if you look at it in terms of I mean, the competition level right now is, I think, pretty even. I mean, it's one of the leagues where it's not necessarily one team wins it every year. True. I mean, we've seen the Galaxy kind of sh- shit in the bed a little bit over the last few years. 
I think in terms of balance, it's it's a good balance. I mean, you have some teams that are more dominant than others during regular season, but with the way that it's currently set up, you can't say that every year one team is going to win the cup. So I, I think in terms of balance that way, it makes sense. But And the DP rule does allow for that, right? Or else the Galaxy would just get them out, get every single player that's right. going to come, even though they still seem to be getting all these big-name players. But the, the DP rule does allow for allow for a little more flexibility in terms of where these players can go because it doesn't just make one club attractive. If they can't sign you, they can't sign you, Precisely. and then you have to go somewhere else. So I think that... I think that it, right now it's it's at a good place for where the, for where the MLS yeah. is in terms of uh, financial structure. So someone might argue that, you know, bringing all these young guys in, while it's great for the level of play, they, these players could eventually leave. So you had the situation in Orlando with Kyle Lahren, who was one of their top goal scorers. He just signed for Besiktas this year, which is a pretty big club, and it's kind of crazy to think that a young guy, you know, who played a lot of years in the MLS is now at a big-time club in Europe. And he came from an MLS club. So they're saying, yeah, if they move on, that's not necessarily good for the MLS. Our our stars are gone. So, you know, Joseph Martinez is killing it in Atlanta. But what's stopping, let's say, uh, Sevilla or some other team in Europe from scooping up Joseph Martinez? And basically now he's gone from the MLS. Is that necessarily what the league wants to do? Right. So this goes in more... This goes in more to the, into the idea of the MLS structure as a whole. I think that if the MLS is controlling transfers and teams aren't reaping anything from the from big sales and they can't set prices, no, which, I think they are. It's such a complicated system that I really. But they're not don't making the money as if like as if some team were to potentially own them right if they had bought them they own that player and then say some Sevilla comes in with 50 mil and wants to buy them they don't reap all the benefits of that which actually I think ends up hurting the club right so I think if this is then this is a whole different debate in terms of um, is the structure correct but I think that that's the downside of it yeah the players can go somewhere else make way more money make way more money or just be in a different league completely, right? You want to go play for that that yeah. European team. If the teams don't have necessarily saying power, right? Because if the MLS is handling transfers, the teams don't necessarily have all the power in terms of what they can ask for, um, and they might not be reaping all the benefits of that. Yeah, the teams could become the t- the MLS teams could become a breeding ground for really good players. If if it gets to that point, where like we're, a feeder, where we're picking up South American players or picking up players from from different countries, raising them up, raising their level, and then European comes in, plops them right out of the MLS, which I, I think, um, yeah, that's not great for the MLS. But is it necessarily a bad thing? Because it could be that, mm. you know, they're picking, they're, we're raising, the MLS starts to raise all these players, they start being really good. That actually ends up helping, in the long term, people's views on the MLS. You know, if you have, let's pretend, in a, in a hypothetical, Joseph Martinez leaves Atlanta, goes to some smaller club in Europe, breaks out in Europe and just balls out, there's a chance that everyone else, after, you know, 15 years, starts looking at the MLS in a different light. Yeah. So where someone's argument is like, oh, but if these players leave, they're not going to be helping our league immediately. Sure. But in the long term, it could, in theory, as well, help the, the, the standing of the league. Yeah, I definitely think it depends on the which standpoint you're looking at it from. From a fan's perspective, it's not great to know that 
the league and or your team is just a, a breeding ground for other players because you're just losing your best talents year after year after year. I'm thinking like a Monaco, a, a Dortmund that's always a, a, a seller club, right? If the league becomes a seller league, yes, you have way more of an attraction to get these, these younger players and get players that want to make a name for themselves. But from a, a fan's perspective, you want to see your best players stay, regardless of whether it helps the league's overall image or not, right? I, I don't want David De Gea to leave Manchester United. I'm sure no one wanted Lionel Messi to leave Barcelona when he was younger, which, he, I mean, he hasn't, but you don't want to have that insecurity. I mean, Monaco, if you're a Monaco supporter, you know almost every year you're going to lose four to five players. If you're a Dortmund supporter, you basically know you're going to lose all your, your, your top players. That's not a great feeling for fans. Sure, it makes it exciting for that season or two that are there, that, that they are there, the players, excuse me, but in the long run, it it's a shitty feeling knowing that you're going to be losing your players to, to these other bigger clubs um, year in, year out. So I think that it depends on the perspective. For the MLS, it would be great because then the MLS is this, this league where, yeah, we're talent every year. It's exciting. We have this new guy every single year that's producing really well. They are gone. We bring in new players. But from a French perspective, it's not ideal. I think one of the, the interesting uh, situations with it is, you know, Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley, and probably Sebastian Jovinko, they're not going to any other league. They are well into their career that they're not leaving. You know, they're going to probably stay in the MLS. Versus this new this new age of DPs, you have Joseph Martinez and Diego Rossi, who we haven't really mentioned yet, but he's uh, one of LAFC's designated players. And yeah. He scored their first three goals yeah. of their history. And he's only 20 from Uruguay, and he has the potential to, you know, be really, really good. Right. But, you know, there's that whole thing of, of what should the how should the DP rule be used, right? It's should clubs be focusing on young talent or should clubs be looking for players that are going to stay for at least an extended period of time, you know, five to six, ten years, and what is right for the league going forward? I think that we've examined it a little bit, and we understand that the MLS is a, um, for a lack of a better term, a clusterfuck of, <laughs> of issues. I think that the way they have to handle it needs to be very very delicate because of what you just said. You don't want them to become a, a seller league. You don't want yeah. them to just be basically having these young players from South America come in and just basically take a pit stop for three years and then leave. You know, not that that's, you know, it can be bad, it can be good. I think that for me, my, my, my stance on it is I think that you just have to take a balanced approach. Yeah. I think that if you have a player who is hungry, who is sort of in their prime, at least sort of in their prime, and who's hungry, who wants to come and play, and wants to spend several years here, and wants to like build the future in the vein of Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley, Sebastian Jovinko, I think that's ideal. But mix in, of course, the use of the DP rule to sign these attractive young South American or otherwise players, and basically take it as a blend. I think the only thing that hasn't been working is the old, old model of bringing in these old, old guys just to sell tickets, because I don't think MLS fans want that anymore. Yeah, I think that, uh, actually, I'm going to tie this back to the um, our previous episode on China, and I think you said it best, where it depends on what you want U.S. soccer to be, right? If we want U.S. soccer to be a powerhouse internationally versus just as a powerful league, there are two different approaches. And I think what we said yet in the last episode is that China is taking in an approach from growing their international soccer levels and growing their professional players, growing Chinese um, professional players versus 
getting these stars. So they have almost a, a DP rule sort of thing. But their overall goal is to produce from within to create players that are Chinese that are superstars versus getting these superstar names. They're getting bringing these superstar names in just to kind of raise overall attention in the league. But their end goal is to, is to raise international footballing levels. So the MLS has to decide, do we want to raise the MLS or do we want to raise American soccer, American players that are going to produce at a higher level for, for the nation? So I think it depends on what you're, what you're trying to do. If you want these DP rules, if you want to raise the, the stature of the MLS, the DP rule is great because you can bring in these players that are going to come in and out and, and, and really bring attention to the league. You don't necessarily want that if you are trying to raise American-born players that are going to compete at the highest level internationally, I think. So it depends on what perspective the MLS is, is going to take or decides to take it into what is more important. Right, because the, we've seen the, the same thing we brought up last week was the um, the FA and the English League. The Premier League is super strong. It's probably the most competitive league in the world. But the England's national team is pretty shitty. So, But they don't have a rule. You can bring in as many players as you want. They come and go, blah, 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 blah. The league is competitive. But internationally, they don't really compete for shit, unfortunately. So it depends on what perspective you're taking it out from. Yeah, I mean, what what lesser of two evils do you want to have? Right. I guess, and I think are the MLS and the the United States like national team at all connected in any way? Loosely through the, Loosely. the soccer federation, yeah. but the MLS they are focuses not, on itself. But they are right. Yeah. It's that yeah. uh, <laughs> that uh, invisible hand type of thing. Right? Yeah. It's, so it's I guess connected. personally, what I what would I want? I would want to become less of a retirement home for older guys yeah. and more of uh, young guys come up through South America mostly and they yeah. come up through here and they, you can see them grow into stardom and then they leave. Yeah. I, I think I'd be more okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I think that to wrap it up, it's interesting to note that the example of China and the U.S., the reason why these issues even come up is because they're trying to accelerate growth. It's not like the leagues in Europe that have had you know close to 100 years to be yeah. able to develop to what they are. Absolutely. It's because the MLS and China both are trying to hyper-accelerate the growth of everything. And yeah. so it's a really like tricky situation to handle. I was evidenced by the fact that, you know, a lot of things in, in the MLS's structure is very confusing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as we've seen today. As we've seen today, it's very confusing. But the reason is, is because, like we said, they're trying to hyper-accelerate the league. And, you know, I'm all for it. If it means that in five, ten years, the league is super competitive and there's a bunch of fans who love players and they have really been able to grow up as their own league. I think it'll be worth it to go through all of these, all of this craziness. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how the future goes. I'm excited to see how Ibrahimovic performs in, in at the Galaxy. I don't think he'll be just another sideshow. I think he can still produce at a high level, yeah. especially Plus here in the MLS. Plus his mentality is a lot different. I think that guy will be trying to be the best old guy at his retirement home when he's 100 years old. True. Yeah, so I think that <laughs> I think that he'll be good for the MLS and super superstar. I mean, he's good. He's gonna be bigger than Beckham. I think for the MLS Who? in terms blood sign. Oh. Yeah. I think just in terms of that, and I think he is gonna make Galaxy competitive just because of his, his nature. So it's gonna be exciting to see him. Hopefully, he he does help kind of inject that more interest into the MLS into American soccer. That'd be awesome. Um, I know I'll be watching them a lot more. Just having that now connection to. United and just having him kind of be this legendary soccer figure. Um, it'd be cool to see what he does for the Galaxy. Very true. Can't wait. 
So there you have it, guys. Another roller coaster ride of a Culture FC episode. We are learning things on the fly, learning what the DP rule was, how the MLS is structured. As always, we had a lot to say on the MLS and what their general structure is. If you agree with any of the stuff we have to say or disagree with anything we, we came up with, please let us know. And if you haven't yet, pause the podcast, go onto your podcast app, leave us that five-star review, and then share us with your friends. And as a final request, make sure you follow us on Culture FC Instagram. You can find us at culturef.c. We post all the behind the scenes for the podcast, quotes, videos, a lot of stuff you guys don't actually get to see or hear on the podcast regularly. Thanks for listening. See you next week.